This is So What Does Judaism Say About? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, as always, is the effortless Rabbi Mayor Beer. Rabbi Beer, how are you doing? Fantastic. You know, a lot of work in this world that we're in. What, what does Judaism say about hishtadlus? Funny word, hishtadlut. Effort, trying, how hard do I have to work? What should I put my energy towards? Versus... Let it go, man. Just let it go. God's going to take care of everything. Just let it go. Let it go. Yeah, I'm probably mispronouncing this, but uh, you remember what was the line in the, li- the, the, line in the Lion King? Uh, Kuna Matata? Yeah. What a wonderful phrase. Yeah. Just, you know, just be high. <laughs> just float. <laughs> well, that's a whole different question. This is really, I, if I believe in God, which I do, but let's say one believes in God, and also we know that we have to try in this world. It's too, too opposite seemingly opposite axioms what is the op the idea of hishtadlut of trying of putting effort towards toiling in uh working towards a goal and then leaving the rest up to god to solve so, so to speak so you're studying for the lsats for example is the proper spiritual attitude to say god will give me whatever score i get why study surely not and then walk in waltz into the test day and don't even look at the questions just fill in whatever the circles are with your pencil god will just make it all happen you know you know that corny joke um there's a uh guy's dating a girl and the girl brings him home to uh meet his meet, meet her parents so he's sitting down talking talking with the this girl's parents and the uh her father goes to the boy and says so what do you plan on doing for uh, for your career he's like god will help how do, you, how do you plan on supporting a family? God will help. How do you plan on buying a house? God will help. Next day, he's talking to his friend, and his friend's like, oh, so how'd you, how'd you, um, what did you think of this, uh, this boy that your daughter's dating? He's like, great, he thinks I'm God. <laughs> That's right. Now, we do have to get some axioms set up, you know, in, from this perspective of Judaism, because you're saying, would you walk into the LSAT and just fill out your bubbles? I don't know. Why not? God could do that. It could be that's correct. So we need some sources that are going to tell us that that's actually not the right approach, according to Judaism. We're looking at this within the framework of Judaism. There's also a concept called Ein Slimchan Al Hanes, that one, it's inappropriate to rely on miracles. Now, why is that true? Is that true? And I think we have to get inside the Jewish perspective and dissect and get some axioms up on the ground, and then we can begin to understand where the proper balance is. Because why not? If there's a God, why not? There, there are certainly some Christian groups who believe you know, a more extreme way of letting go. Won't, you know, they won't go to doctors. Uh, what do they like, call the The Christian scientists. Christian scientists. God, God created the illness. Uh, he'll cure it. I'll pray and either it'll get cured or not. Now, in Judaism, we do believe God created the illness, correct? Yeah, but we also believe in going to doctors. So, right. So we need to kind of work out, as you're saying, a framework for, for how, we, how we reconcile these two things. On the other hand, uh, a person with a healthy spiritual kind of core can go to sleep at night the night before a big interview and say, look, I put the effort in, like, I'm okay. Whatever but will but happen, why will do you have to put the effort in at all? Meaning, what are these principles? There is a God, he did put the illness there. Why is it inappropriate not to go to a doctor? Why, we all look and go, oh, the Christian scientists, but you know what? There's a whole group of secular people who might look at the religious Jews and say, oh, they're not, they're not, they're not doing enough effort or how can they rely on God at all? So we are relying on God for something. Let's call it the outcome. I think that'd be a healthy way for us to look at it. But how much effort is required? So to, to, to give like a, like a general overview, Seemingly from the nature of the world, if we're going to believe that the, you know, the laws of physics, the laws of medicine, the laws of biology, 
um, were created by God within that framework is how our existence should be. And we should not ignore the reality of, you know, the medical establishment. So recognizing that, you know, ultimately whether or not something can work can have a connection to our spirituality and prayer can be something that's beneficial. But the reality is we live in a physical world and we're supposed to recognize that as being our existence. Why? Why are we supposed to recognize that as our existence? Meaning we're spending our whole lives trying to transcend physicality, trying to get close to God, let's call it. So why wouldn't it be appropriate? And we know that it is inappropriate. So I'm challenging. Why is it inappropriate? What, what, what are these pieces that we're missing? So I'm going to give you a classic Jewish runaround and get to your question in a second. And to start, I'm going to quote a source, which seems to indicate that one should not do that which we're suggesting, that one, you know, one should not have a normative, you know, approach to things like illness or, or, or um, their career, their academics. One should just like be gung-ho into it. God will take care of everything. Um, and then scale back, see why that's generally not appropriate. And hopefully from that, we'll get the answer. Let's take a look. Uh, to this question. So we'll start with a source. This is Nachmanides in his commentary on the Chumash, uh, the end of uh, the end of the book of Leviticus in chapter twenty six. The Ramban writes that in an ideal state, and this ideal state has never existed uh, fully, one would not seek out doctors. The Torah writes, uh, one should get healed, which the Gemara derives that one is allowed to go to physicians, one is allowed to seek medical care. The Ramban says you're allowed to, but it's not an ideal thing to do. Ideally. You should recognize that the illness is a product of some spiritual shortcoming. You know, rectify that shortcoming and the illness will go away. That would be the ideal. Now, now that's not possible for what reason? The Ramban also writes <laughs> in his book, The Torah's Adam, that it is forbidden, now he's talking practically, not philosophically, for a person not to seek medical attention if symptoms indicate that they need it. This is the, what the, the Torah, the Shulchan Aruch write, that if one does not seek medical attention when medical attention should be advantageous, then one is suicidal. One is considered to be a murderer for not seeking medical care. Meaning you killed yourself. Correct. You killed yourself. Right. So to put these two things together, we're going to have to say that the ideal spiritual person is a person who is so hyper-spiritual, who is so spiritually sensitive that we can say definitively that the sickness was because of some sort of spiritual deficiency. That's not a reality that we know. We get sick as part of our normal lives. We get sick because we are physical human beings with, we'll call it, although it's not actually this, a certain element of randomness to it. And part of that is, you know, an example could be that a person gets sick because that's part of the character development that God wants for him, is to deal with the difficulties of that part of his life, um, recognize that the doctors are the physical part, but there's a spiritual part to that as well, and through his normative living, discover God. Does this effort then constitute what would be otherwise ideally prayer? Meaning in this hypersensitive spiritual space that the Ramban says should should be the ideal, but never was and never will be? Or? The Ramban suggests in, in, in the Messianic era, such a thing would exist, but it is not something that we know of. So it's not like something that, you know, we should aspire to for next year. It's something we should aspire to now, almost theoretically. Theoretically. Now, if, if that's true, which we're saying it is, the Ramban Nachmanides is saying that in that space, a spiritual rectification would handle the physical, meaning prayer, things like this. So I'm asking, I'm asking now, 
does then the going to the doctors waiting on hold for, you know, the insurance company for two and a half hours and, you know, all that stuff. Does that take the place of what, what would be prayer? Meaning that the effort is only an effort and is that God asks of it from us. Correct. So, but that would, that would be as, as we'll continue discussing a person who is literally living with viewing the physical world based on factors such as the society he's living in being a society that has profits and like the super elevated, you know, concept of, of people literally seeing spirituality. No, as I'm saying now that now that we have to, now that he's the Ramban has said, we have to go to doctors. If you don't, you're, you're, you're killing yourself. I'm saying, does that take the place of tefillah? It is the effort is in and of itself like a tefillah. Well, to an extent, it, it, it is something that if you view that frustration as something that is a product, you know, as an example. So you're going, this is a person who God forbid is going through a sickness and you know, they're, they're, they're getting the treatments and it's, successful but it's painful and it's slow and they're discovering themselves they're they're discovering a sense of a certain sense of balance a certain sense of values from having that struggle that presumably is part of the experience they need finding it as you're as, as you pointed out within waiting on hold and not blowing up and cursing at the person on the other end of the phone or, or whatever it is that's not necessarily a replacement of prayer but it is working hand in hand with prayer as part of the spiritual development of the experience that we know to be the reality of human existence. In- including also the treatment and, and that you go to a good surgeon or a good doctor and how good do they have to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. So th- so what we're looking for in, in, in the reality that we know, in the society that we know, in the existence that we know is finding God in the normal. Now, were there eras, you know, we, we refer to the, the Jews living in the desert, you know, living, in the, you know, in the clouds of glory as, as the Torah describes, that was a society different than we know it. And... In such a society where there's there's overt spirituality and overt miracles, the ways to view illness would be a little different. So yes, there is that theoretical idea, but practically it's not really what we live with. Uh, there's another. There's a contrast. There's a a uh, two mentions uh, in the Talmud of Rabbi Hanina, um, who is a person, as is pretty clear from from the Talmud, who actually lived like this. The, the Talmud in, in Tractate Tainus on page 25 says that Hanina on a Friday afternoon once had no oil in his house to light Shabbat candles. Like no olive oil or whatever he was using to light, light the candles. He, he had no fuel. Right. So his daughter tells him, like, we're not going to be able to light candles. He's like, just light vinegar. He who said that oil can burn said that vinegar can burn. Now, to say such a statement, you have to be a person that tangibly views oil and vinegar as being the same product in regards to being flammable. Like God said oil can burn, he said vinegar can burn. It's no different to him. Now I can say that and you can say that and we might believe it philosophically, but it is not a reality that we actually touch and feel. Now why isn't there a reality we can touch and feel? We, we both believe that laws of physics are real, including what's flammable and what's inflammable, the emulsification properties of oil versus the whatever properties of vinegar, et cetera. We, we, and we all know that was all created by God. We, you know, on a lie detector test, I'm going to pass that. So are you. Why wouldn't it work for us? So one could argue that Hanina was on a greater level than us. That's for sure. <laughs> one could also <laughs> I don't argue, argue that at all. That's not an argument. One could also argue that Hanina was a person who lived in a generation where such things were possible. You know, if this is an era two thousand years ago when there were still vestiges of, of of the prophetic experience and the reality of the environment that people lived in was a little different, such a thing might have been a possible level to attain. Whereas even the hyper-righteous, the super-elevated people of our times, who, you know, hopefully one day we'll get there, 
that might not be a possibility that that is even attainable in our times. So, so is, does this times that you're pointing out, does this go hand in hand with, with prophecy and open miracles sort of uh, digressing and disappearing and then the rise of what, what the intellectual approach and the Greek philosophy being huge part of Judaism and moving away from that experience towards the physical experience and, and therefore it's inappropriate to rely on that way? Meaning, Yeah, I, I would definitely su suggest that that's, that's part of it, but to a small extent, perhaps, if we could be more like Rebchanina even in our times, while we may not be able to get vinegar to become flammable, the red lights might change a little quicker. Really? Well, maybe. S sources suggest that if we... If we... I, I don't mean the red lights themselves, but the concept of, of, of us getting, you know, call it a medical, you know, unexpected medical breakthrough, just kind of clicking into place, or a series of random occurrences making the job happen... Yes, I, I definitively believe, you know, um, maybe I'm too religious for you, I don't know, <laughs> that, you know, if a person, you know, kind of really bolsters their faith, that that, that job they're looking for can click in a little quicker than might have otherwise happened. I'm not going to call that a miracle. Right. What I would call that actually is called bracha. I would say there are three ways in which we can look at the world. You know, this, I, heard, I heard this from, from, from Gershenfeld, right? There's an idea that there's Nisim, the world of miracles and and everything's above nature, and this is the experience you're describing with, with Rav Hanina, that the vinegar would burn. The exact opposite of that would be a world bereft of God completely, a completely physical world, only in physical reality, where it is random. Those are the two, let's call it extremes. And we live ideally in this world that, that we call bracha, blessing, which means that like, like you're saying, things can line up. Like how many lottery tickets do you have to buy you know, to, to win if you really believe in God? So I, I don't know if statistically speaking you increase your chances of winning the lottery by actually buying a ticket. I think just like the winning ticket flying down your chimney is probably just as likely. <laughs> but you got to buy a yeah, ticket, yeah, yeah. right? But but I think it's safe to say if you let's say you buy one ticket, so the it would not be it would not be it, I mean it would be miraculous, but it would not be outside the world of physical constraints for the blessing of God giving you money to come through that ticket. You know, we're talking about LSATs, right? If you don't sit for the exam, Hashem cannot give you the one the 171, the 175, the 180. He can't give you that score because you didn't sit for the exam. So you do just you have to sit there and you have to write something down. So the question is, how much effort do you have to put into the, to the studying and the whole, right? Right, exactly. So it, it's a combination of, of viewing the reality of our environment. You need to put that effort in. You need to put the you know the studying or, or, or making the, the business connections. But what kind of gave you the confidence when you walked in that conference room to just to just ace that that interview? That 100 percent That might have been a little 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 touch of the divine there. So you know, within reason, you do what you need to do, but, you know, by bolstering your faith that, like, I'm trying to do the right thing, I'm trying to develop myself, I'm trying to be a good person, and I recognize that, you know, the intangibles are the intangibles. They're beyond my control, and I will I will put what I can't do out of my hands and, you know, get a little faith. Not faith to override the rules of nature as we know it, but faith to say that within the construct of the world as we know it, I can get a little, 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 little boost pack, you know, the little power up from the video game to like help me cruise through things. But not only are you going to get a power up, it's beautifully said, you're also going to reduce the downside, the, 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 the test anxiety and the anxiety that it's all falling apart. And my life is so crazy. And so you need to hear what you hear on campus. I'm so stressed out. I did not consciously believe in God when I went through the Wharton Business School. Okay, and I developed severe test anxiety from from a person who I used to fly through the tests, right? 
what happened? What changed? You get this anxiety that like, oh my gosh, I can't do it, even though you can. And I wonder what would, what could, what could have been, Rabbi Beer, had I believed in God in those moments where I'm like, one second, I know I studied, I know I can do this. You know, Hashem is going to be with me or not. It's nothing I can do, as opposed to following into that trip, that trick and 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 trap of anxiety gripping you from being successful. It's the exact opposite issue. It's almost like you're paralyzed and can't move in the world because you don't believe in God, as opposed to I'm overexerting myself. It's the exact opposite issue, yet same problem. Yeah, exactly. So, so moving on to this anxiety point, which you're bringing up, I'd like to develop this a little further. We'll quote one more statement from this Rabbi Hanina. The Talmud in, in Tractate Sanhedrin on page uh, 67 has a story where Rabbi was threatened by a, a certain evil woman. And Evil woman. I don't know much about her, but she was threatening him. Did she sing that song? Uh, possibly. It could be. You'd have to look at the, uh, who has the, uh, the trademark for it. <laughs> and Rabbi had a line, Enol Mulvado, there's, 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 no there's nothing else but God. As kind of his like mantra of faith, and the story ends up with this woman being unable to affect him. So that like point that, you know, I'm doing what I need to do and, you know, I'll just kind of cruise through this, this expression of Enod Movado, there's nothing else but him, is a way to deal with some of this stuff. The uh, the Lotsato in, in his Musar book, the Mesil Sisharm, The Path of the Just, writes that a big detriment, some a, a, a big stumbling block to a person's spiritual development is unnecessary anxiety. Unnecessary anxiety, meaning anxiety can be necessary. Right, a little anxiety helps you stress. It helps you grow. Right, right. you go to the gym. Let's talk about physical worlds. Right, you go to the gym. You got to put weights on the on the on the on the what are they called? On the beams. I don't know. You and I both don't work out. What is it called when you go to the gym? You put the what's it called? What's that thing called? Those shiny sticks. Whatever those things are, <laughs> they get they get weights on them. And if the weight is too too little, there'll be no stress in the muscles, and you won't grow. And and if you don't have no stress, you won't ever study. It's like you can't. Well, now we're moving back. That's my point. Right. Take the physical example. Everybody knows you got to exert yourself, sadly, to grow in the to grow physically in the gym or in or in cardiovascular exercise. Moving that over to the which world? The study world. Let's what go world? for the study world. You gotta take harder classes to to grow, and it's gonna be stressful. But there is that line where it crosses from healthy stress to what we'll call anxiety right. and worry. Right. Exactly. And as Masil Sisharm writes, he quotes the Talmud and Tractate Subos that says that. Everything is in the hands of God besides for getting sick. Because if you don't take care of your health, you are going to increase your, your, your likelihood of getting, of getting sick. If you don't take care of your body, you will get sick. That is the way of the world. So he differentiates between something which is a direct relatable danger or a direct relatable causation from you not putting effort in. Yes, if you don't study, you don't do well on tests. And then there's the well, I studied, but I could have read another six books. There's the what if, what if, what if. And he says at that point, it's not emotionally or spiritually advantageous to have that level of anxiety. And he says when people act like that, you know, there's, you know, he quotes a, he quotes a, um, a medrash. The medrash says that there's a, what's the example of a lazy person? You know, so we always think as a lazy person, the person who doesn't want to get out of, get, get off of his couch. Sometimes there's a, purpose, a person who practically is the same thing as the lazy person, but not because he's lazy, but because he's crippled with anxiety. Well, I can't go to that lecture because it's raining outside and I might catch a cold. Uh, I, I I can't I can't take that internship because I'm too scared of what could happen if I live in the big city. I'm a small town person. Like, what about what about fear of failure? Also, well, they might I might fail. They might right exactly within reason. If you have the skill set to do it, try it. Go for it. And if you feel nothing will happen, and if something happens, you'll still move on. 
So, you know, you, you have a reasonable level of practical anxiety to get you to do things, to get you to have basic precautions and take care of yourself. But you got to learn to like kind of let loose and have a little anal movado. There's nothing but him when I'm putting in the reasonable normative effort and then assume that whatever needs to happen will happen. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I, I, I want to share two two ideas, two stories. One one was, you know, we, were, we were discussing this when I was studying in yeshiva, and there was a rabbi named Rabbi Yosef Kaufman. His father actually founded and owned KB Toys. Remember that toy store? Oh, sure. That yeah. was the mall store. Yeah, the mall store. KB. I mean, no one remembers what we're talking about, but they sold it before Amazon and, you know, Baruch Hashem. But uh, KB Toys, his son, Joe Kaufman, was one of our rabbis, and uh, and he said beautifully this sentence. It stayed with me forever. The amount of effort that you individually need to do is how much, how would you feel if you got a bad grade on this exam? Would you feel like I could have done more and that's why you did poorly? Or I really couldn't have done anything else. I did the best that I could and that was the grade that I got. And I felt it was, I felt like it really let you know who you are. Or are you happy with a bad grade, even though you didn't work that hard? You see, you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. let's say I walk into the exam and I get a C. Well, I didn't really study, so what do I expect? Or I walk in and I get an A, and you're like, okay, I did that because I, I put the correct amount of effort through. It really stuck with me. Like, what would you, if you got a bad grade, will you feel like you could have done more, yes or no? Or will you not care, right? And that really, uh, that approach is how he approached my father's medical condition. When he was diagnosed with, with, with cancer, and this brain cancer, and we were debating what hospital to do the surgery at. And there's the Cincinnati where we live, the medical clinic in the hospital there, which, you know, there's no brain surgeon that's going to be like a complete idiot, right? They're all brain surgeons, right? It is brain, it is actually brain surgery. But then there was the hospital in Duke that was, you know, top, 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 top. And my father got into that program there. And the question was, do we do the surgery in Duke or do we do the surgery in Cincinnati? And I remember my mother and, 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 and I debating and talking because it was, it was, quote, better, unquote. But my father felt very strongly that Cincinnati was plenty good, and it gave him a sense of calm to stay at home and be home. And therefore, we felt like there was no real urgency or, let's call it, uh, Jewish uh, Torah obligation for us to go to the best, best, best hospital because this one was was good enough and and it fulfilled what we needed and my father felt comfortable with it. And that was like a real life example of like, we really had this choice and where we went and and obviously the, the end was the end, but at least we, the means that we had, we felt very comfortable with God in the picture and also the hospital being, you know, good enough, so to speak. Yeah, and, and you know, the other extreme to this, this, uh, this is an interesting idea that you sometimes find people who... Um, will mistake their, we'll call their faith, um, for laziness. There's a, there, there's a... I like, I like where this is going. <laughs> there's a, a teaching quoted for, in the name of Chaim Valajner. This is in the end of the second volume of the Chedusha Reb Shlomo. Nice book of uh, lectures from Shlomo Hyman, one of the original American Russia yeshiva. Uh, and, he, and he quotes a, a line that the Talmud says that in, in a difficult generation, people will say... Um, we have no one to turn to but our Father in Heaven. And he expresses as, as like a curse. Like when people say like, oh, we can't take care of everything, God will take care of it. Like it's not in our hands. It's such a difficult time. Only God can save us. No, you're a human being. Clearly by the parameters of our existence, there are things we can do. There are things we should do. And there are things we need to do. Go out, go out there, do what you need to do. What the exact results will be in, It'll be what it'll be, but you do your part, and then, you know, that's where your faith starts. After you've done your part, you know, you then hope 
and pray that the results will be as as positive as possible. But the point where you stop trying because it's such a difficult, it's not possible to live in this social media generation. <laughs> All the children are ruined. Everybody is, is everybody's going flush down the toilet. Uh, we can't raise children in the, in the you know it's like doomsday prophets. Like no, we can get out there. We can do well. It'll be challenging. It'll be tough, but we will be successful as long as we're doing what we need to do. Is the way we need to approach life. Right, not like when Homer Simpson puts on that barrel. What was he doing? He's running around. The end was near. No one's late. No one's later than Homer. <laughs> you know, so it's a beautiful conversation. It, it is difficult. I think this is where your mentors and your spiritual advisors can be very helpful to help sort of discern. You know, what is the correct amount of effort needed here? Because the answer is not none, and the answer isn't getting anxiety from the fact that we can't control everything. So, you know, seek your mentors, you know, talk to your therapists, definitely keep it up. But the, the this conversation of Hishtadlut, of effort versus, uh, you know, straight faith is, it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. Like everything else. 